This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no meta-currency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. In a flashback we learnt how Valen's master Amos Aphowan had tried to disenchant the cursed amulet, though we did not discover whether or not he was successful. Back in the present, Valen deciphered the puzzle to open the portal into the burial chamber of King Vortigan, and when the party placed the heads of the Draga bodyguards in the recesses on either side of the doorway, the enchantment that sealed the portal was released and the stone door fell open. Once inside, the Draga King came to life and vowed to turn the companions into his undead slaves. A battle ensued, wherein Beric and Torsten fell prey to Vortigan's hold person spell, and for a while it looked as though the companions may all be killed. Lena and Valen stood fast, and drew Vortigan away from their paralysed comrades, whilst Kier manoeuvred behind the Draugr King. When things looked desperate, Kier plunged his sword into Vortigan's back, and pierced his black heart, lifting the curse of undeath from the mine. Having taken what valuables they could find, the party left the mine and headed back to Four Rivers. But when they arrived, they found that the settlement had been attacked, leaving dozens dead. Chapter 14, Part 1, Day 19, Evening, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 3 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points, Torsten, 2 out of 8 hit points, Spells available, there are no spells available. Clouds gathered on the western horizon as the sun set over the Tainmoor, shimmering in hues of red and gold, until it appeared as if the world was on fire. The settlement was bereft of usual human activity, for the living now shared their home with a community of the dead. More than forty souls had perished, and the companions had helped the survivors move the dead into the hall, lest their earthly remains became a feast for the crows. Lena had walked among those grieving and in shock, offering words of comfort and solace, but many were too anguished to be soothed by the cleric's wisdom, for theirs was a waking nightmare. Afterwards, the companions had accompanied Marvin to his home, and Elsbeth, who thankfully was unharmed, prepared a meal. Once they had eaten, Marvin relayed the events 
which had befallen the settlement. They came before dawn. The foreman began. The first thing we knew was the sound of screams. I got out of bed and went to the window. Several of the cabins were already aflame. There were at least two dozen men. Some were on horseback, while others on foot had broken down the doors of folks' homes and were trespassing and pillaging as they went. The menfolk were being put to sword, and women dishonoured, or meeting the same fate. Marvin paused as he risked becoming overwhelmed with emotion. Elsbeth, who was sitting next to her husband, placed her hand on his. He looked at her briefly with a forced smile before continuing. We escaped out back. I told Elsbeth to run for the lake, and I keep a hatchet out there for chopping wood. By then, some of the other folk had responded likewise. A score of us came together with axes, shovels, picks. One man even had a bow. The foreman's face was grim as he recalled. We confronted the raiders, with more folk joining us all the time. Our bowmen took two of them down, and we killed four more, before their leader, a brute of a man with a scarred face, called them to retreat. Some of my folk cheered as they fled, but I felt no such satisfaction, for the victory was hollow. Marvin's final words hung in the air. There were no words of comfort that would suffice. Eventually, Beric broke the silence. And was there any sign of who the raiders were? The big man asked. One of the interesting quandaries that I am finding with solo play is finding that balance between defining a plot and letting the dice decide the narrative. I do want the campaign to feel coherent, and I have a whole web of plot seeds and situations which could potentially come into play, although I must stress that nothing is guaranteed. My goal is to keep the game as much of a sandbox as possible, and therefore I need there to be a random element in order to keep me surprised as a player and also to ensure that the campaign isn't a railroad. This is where the simple GM oracle can really help, and this new event in the narrative feels like a perfect time to let the dice decide. Now, in the last episode, I made some off-mic rolls on the oracle to see if anything had happened in Four Rivers whilst the characters were in the mine, and we have already seen the result of those rolls, but now I need to flesh this out some more. I am going to ask a few questions and that should tell me whether this attack on Four Rivers is in any way linked to other events. Firstly, I want to know whether this was a random attack by brigands. A two. That is a straight no. Okay, we have already heard that the Lordship of the Twins is disputed by Lord Polmere, a rival to the Conwyn family. Was Lord Polmere behind the attack? A four. That is a yes but. Right. So that but makes me think that the brigands, who Lord Polmere has paid to harry travellers through the Hartwood, have gone rogue, and that Lord Polmere did not command an outright attack on Four Rivers. Is that the case? A four. That is a yes and. So maybe someone working for Lord Polmere wants to escalate the situation. Is that true? A four. That is a yes and. Okay, so thinking about my wider campaign, does that person have some other allegiance? A five. That is a straight yes. 
So now I want to know if the raiders left any evidence that points to Lord Palmyre. A five. That is a straight yes. Okay, so I want to know two things. Firstly, if one of the raiders was captured. A five. That is a straight yes. And secondly, whether there was any hard evidence pointing to Lord Palmyre. A six. That is a yes and. Okay, I think that gives me enough. Let's get back to the story. Marbon looked at Beric. Some of my folk captured one of the villains. I have them locked up, though you can imagine what my people want to do to them. But there's more. The foreman reached inside his tunic and pulled out a letter that was stained with blood. We found this on one of the men we killed. He handed it to Beric, who in turn passed it to Lena. I can't read, the big man explained. Lena unfolded the parchment, noting that the letter bore no seal. It says, It is time to escalate the situation. Polmere lacks the backbone, so we must take matters into our own hands. Do what you must. It is signed M. But that is not all. The cleric said, her eyes wide, as she turned to the parchment so that the others could see. There, below the M, was a crudely drawn sun. Chapter 14 Part 2 Day 20 Morning Party Status Beric 17 out of 17 hit points Lena 4 out of 10 hit points Kier, 7 out of 7 hit points. Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points. Torsten, 3 out of 8 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push and Shield. Lena can pray for one first level miracle. The inhabitants of Four Rivers had gathered under an ashen sky a short distance outside the settlement, and now stood in an area designated to become a cemetery. A light rain had been falling since dawn, which now soaked the shrouded bodies of 42 souls that lay inside their open graves. Lena moved in turn to each grave, briefly asking the friends and relatives to describe the deceased, before giving last rites and commending each soul to the care of Naya. When the task was done, all lent their hands to cover the dead with earth. The raiders who had been killed were afforded no such honour in death, though Lena would give last rites, and the companions would cover the graves once the congregation had dispersed. Before the folk drifted away, Marbon had invited Beric to recount the events in the mine, which the warrior did, and there was some comfort for the community in knowing that their livelihoods had been preserved. After. A few came and shook hands and offered thanks before returning to start the work of repairing and rebuilding. Once alone, Marbon identified the raider who bore the letter, and on searching the body, Beric found the man to have a tattoo of a blazing sun on his left forearm. The same tattoo as Kelnoth, 
What are the brethren doing being involved in a dispute between two lords? Lena asked no one in particular. Who knows? Beric replied. But we should report this to Brannock. Having buried the raiders, the companions accompanied Marbon back to the settlement and prepared the wagon to depart. Elspeth had prepared food for their journey, and when everything was ready, Marbon asked a couple of his folk to fetch the captured brigand. The man's clothes were filthy and torn, and his face blooded. His left eye was swollen, as was his lip, though despite his condition, it was clear that he was young. His hands were bound behind his back as he was pushed forward, and some of the folk spat at him as he passed. What's your name? Beric asked sharply as the man stopped before them. Clem. The man replied through swollen lips. Get on the wagon, and keep your mouth shut. Clem climbed aboard, slumping down amongst the wagon's cargo. Keir got up behind him and bound the man's ankles. Wouldn't want you going walkies now, would we? The rogue said rhetorically before climbing back down. Well then, Marbon addressed the companions. You have done us a great service, and I thank you. The foreman extended a hand to Beric, which the big man clasped. You will always be welcome in Four Rivers. Torsten stepped forward and cleared his throat. You fight well for Longshanks, he said to Beric. You could come with us, Beric suggested. You're pretty handy with that axe. The dwarf smiled. There's work for me here, at least until the mine is restored. But perhaps one day our paths will cross again. Until then... Torsten looked at each of the companions. Vagrun, watch over you. With that, the companions climbed aboard the wagon. Once everyone was in place, Keir flicked the reins and the horses began walking. Some of the folk waved and called farewell as the wagon trundled down the road, and a small group of children ran alongside laughing and giggling before their attention was caught elsewhere. Beric looked back. Marbon and Torsten were still watching them. He raised his arm, and the pair did so in return. Then the road swept away, and they disappeared out of view. I was really torn about whether Torsten should join the party permanently. On the one hand, I've really enjoyed his character, and the party would absolutely benefit from having his axe with them. But in the end, I felt that he would want to do the right thing, and that would be to stay and help the folk of Four Rivers rebuild. But who knows, maybe the dwarf will appear again. We shall have to wait and see. With that in mind, it is probably worth me taking a minute to explain how I am dealing with non-player character, NPC for short, advancement. From the point of introducing a major NPC, be that an ally, an antagonist, or even a neutral party, I will advance them in exactly the same way as the characters. That means that NPCs level up after every 8 episodes up until level 3, and every 10 episodes thereafter. Just like the characters, NPC hit point increases will min out at half, and they will also get the opportunity to gain from ability score increases. Okay, so let's see what happens as the companions travel back to Halstone. First of all, I think Lena would pray for her own wounds to be healed, 
As a reminder, clerics must pass a successful wisdom check in order for the gods to bestow a miracle. Lena's wisdom is 17. Here is the roll. A 3. Lena is healed for... 2 plus 1 hit points. There would of course be an opportunity for Lena to receive additional healing at the pool where Jago died, but I think Lena would be uncomfortable with this, and would rather rely on natural healing and miracles bestowed by her gods. So let's make some rolls for day 20. Weather. A 10. Temperate and wet. Stumble upon. A 13. Nothing. Wandering encounters. A 1. An encounter is indicated. Let's see whether the encounter happens during the day or the night. A 7. The encounter happens during the day. Now to roll on the moorland encounter table. An 8. Okay, so the table indicates that there are 2d6 of these creatures. 6. Right, let's see what happens. Chapter 14, Part 3, Day 20, Late Afternoon, Party Status, Beric, 17 out of 17 hit points, Lena, 7 out of 10 hit points, Kia, 7 out of 7 hit points, Valen, 7 out of 7 hit points. Spells available, Valen has memorized Push and Shield. The Tainmore was shrouded in a thick blanket of low cloud, which deposited a fine drizzle that seemed to hang in the air and soaked everything it touched. The air was fresh and filled with a pleasant fragrance of wet bracken and damp earth that stood in stark contrast to the stale air and the stench of decay that permeated the tomb. So despite the rain and the events at Four Rivers, the companions could not help but feel a lightness of heart. They had stared death in the face, and they have triumphed, and now they gave thanks for their small victory. Lena and Valen sat among the sacks with their prisoner, whilst Beric sat up with Kier, and the two men chatted as the landscape slowly passed by. So you have never said how you came to be a stowaway, Beric said probingly. Subtle Beric, real subtle, Kier retorted, smiling. The big man grinned. It's a long story, Kier said somewhat evasively. So is the road, Beric replied. You got me there, Kier said smiling. Well, when I was young, my ma used to send me to the Chapel of Solace. Once a week, I get an hot meal, and it's how I learnt me letters. One of the nuns, Sister Agatha, took a shine to me. She was the kindest woman I've ever known. Keir paused for a moment and nodded towards the back of the wagon. Lena reminds me a lot of Agatha. Always thinking the best of folk. Anyway, after me ma died, I found myself on the streets. And let me tell you, Godsport ain't a friendly place for homeless orphans. Sounds like you had it hard, Beric said sympathetically. Maybe, but no worse than many, 
Anyway, I fell in with some bad souls. I did things I ain't proud of. Don't mind admitting it. Folk lost coin because of me, but no one ever got hurt. I still visited Agatha though, gave a few coins for the collection, helped in the kitchen. Maybe I was trying to feel less guilty, you know, doing something good to make up for the bad. I don't know. A shadow passed over the rogue's face. Anyway, Silas, he was the leader of our gang. Well, he was as bad as they come. A real nasty piece of work. He'd slit his own mother's throat if there was coin in it. He found out where I was going. He wanted me to set Agatha up. Silas had this idea to kidnap her. Reckon the temple would pay well to get her back. Kier now looked grim. But I knew what Silas was like. Some people are touched by evil. Proper evil. And he's one of them. I knew he'd sooner kill her than let her go. Even if the temple did cough up. An ironic smile played across the rogue's lips. I couldn't give him Agatha. And I knew he'd kill me for it. So I did the only thing I could. I ran. A small evil to avoid a greater one. Beric said remembering the rogue's words upon their first meeting. Kier grinned. Exactly. The companions had already passed the pool of healing, and shortly after passing a copse, Kier brought the wagon to a halt. They had been on the road for several hours, and the horses would need rest and the opportunity to graze before they could continue. A small stream ran alongside the road, and once the rogue had unharnessed the animals, the pair walked over and began to drink. The companions likewise stretched their legs and freshened themselves in the stream before sitting on some boulders to eat the pasties provided by Elsbeth. Once they were refreshed, Kier harnessed the horses again, and everyone climbed aboard the wagon. As he took his place, Beric noticed something moving in the distance to the north, where a low rise terminated in a rocky outcrop. Six dark shapes now approached at speed, and Beric sensed danger. Something comes, the big man said, alerting the others and pointing. What are they? Lena asked. There was alarm in her voice. Wolves, Kier answered, and the companions drew their weapons in readiness. The horses had also by now spotted the predators, and were whinnying and snorting in alarm. If Kier had not just harnessed the animals, they would surely have bolted. Yet the risk remained that the wagon would be dragged over the open moor until Kier jumped down and jammed a rock under the wheel. The wolves were close now, perhaps just a hundred feet away, and with the horses so agitated, the wagon rocked violently, forcing the companions to give up the advantage of higher ground lest they be knocked off their feet. They stood in line, backs to the wagon, as the wolves approached. These are normal wolves, but they are still 2 plus 2 hit dice creatures with an armor class of 12. Wolves get a plus 2 to their attack rolls, and their bite deals 1d6 points of damage. However, combat here is not automatic. These are animals, not monsters, and they act accordingly. So I am going to make a reaction roll. 
Now I actually prefer the reaction table found in the Beckme or Mensa edition of Dungeons and Dragons, which can result in a second roll if the first leaves the creature unsure. The reaction roll is made on 2d6, and higher is better. Both Keir and Lena get a plus one to their reaction rolls, so I'm going to apply this bonus. Here is the roll. An 11! Wow! With the bonus that is the best possible result, and indicates that the creatures will react in a friendly and helpful manner. Okay, I'm going to have to have a think about how this might play out. The wolves had slowed their pace dramatically, and now, barely 30 feet away, they moved with caution. Kier drew back his bow, the yew creaking as he did so, but something made the rogue hesitate. Valen too sensed that there was something unusual about the behaviour of these animals. Wait, the mage said in a low voice, and Kier lowered his bow. The leader of the pack, a female, came forward whilst the others remained where they were. She held her body low to the ground, but not in readiness to attack. Her tail was tucked under her hindquarters, her head slightly bowed, and there was no hint of aggression in her face, but in her amber eyes there was a clear intelligence. She is being submissive, Valen said with interest. The she-wolf continued to approach slowly, and now, only six feet away, it was clear that she looked directly at Lena, who in return observed the animal with curiosity. The cleric felt no fear, rather she felt drawn to the creature. Hernoth, the god of the wilderness, beasts and the hunt, was often represented as a wolf, or surrounded by them, and this gave her comfort. Lena returned her hammer to her belt, and set aside her shield before crouching to face the she-wolf. Lena, what are you doing? Beric said with alarm. Fear not, Beric, Valen said. Lena follows her instincts. The cleric was now eye to eye with the wolf, and the pair held each other's gaze. Does my lord Hernoth send thee? The she-wolf stepped forward as if in response. Lena held out her hand, and the animal nuzzled against it, and began to wag her tail. Remarkable. Valen said softly. The she-wolf licked Lena's hand, and then it gently took the sleeve of the cleric's tunic between its teeth and began tugging on it. I understand, Lena said gently to the animal before addressing her companions. She wants us to follow. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Positive reviews really do help the show reach new listeners. I would like to thank this episode's voice talent. Returning as Marvin is Jim Hurst. Thank you, Jim, for your contribution. It is very much appreciated. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements, or simply recommending the show to a friend. 
I would also love to hear what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.